Within a mysteriously empty 80s Future Core theme park, leagues away from what was once the strip mall of the damned. Past the futuristic flying cars and McCarthyist propaganda posters, beyond the rats gleefully leaping through the rubble of unfinished construction, a secret society assembles. To scrutinize those films rumored to drive viewers to madness and dissolution, draw closer, dear listener, and let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, we the fellows of the Lens of do compete to judge if it's not worthy of our esteem, or whether it should cast out of the worthless hokum. Let us start our friends in shit. We the fellows The story so far. Finding themselves in a strange half-built amusement park presenting itself as a futuristic remnant of the Cold War, the society wanders around on a fruitless search for cell phone coverage. Having been reminded of all action, all excitement, all Arnie 90s sci-fi gore-fest total recall, they decide to have a conclave amid the partially constructed grounds. Andre, hearing a mysterious voice calling out, has separated from the group to pursue the mystery. Meanwhile, a malevolent cosmonaut has orders for Brother Methuselah. Uh, hello? Andre? Andre? You're getting closer. Closer. Uh, uh, no, that's too far. No, you've, you, you've, you've gone too far now. T turn around. It's it's the second left. Left! Uh, okay. Now look up on the shelf. Just, just move the thing behind the box. Marked workers happy mealtime cubes of meat. Uh, a laptop? <laughs> the Gen Xers warned me about these. Behold. Should I open it? Yes. Yes, you should open it. Now, now behold. And should I turn the screen on too? Oh, for f Yes. Now, behold. <laughs> Whoa. Hold on. You're, you're me? You got my face, but you're a woman. Uh, is this... <sighs> Is this like a, a future time travel reverse paradox thing? Are you like a, a, a clone? A, ooh, or, or, or a robot? Unless... Wait, if you're me, then... I expect you're talking out loud like I can hear you while I'm recording this. I'm not from the future. I'm not a clone. Guess what, bitch? I'm you with uh, just a few extra realizations you haven't had yet. So, if you're me... Everything you think you know is just a cover story. Like a role you've been playing out. The Council tried to neutralize me by implanting a different identity. Face it, you're a Council stooge. A good lackey who's supposed to toe the party line. But I had time to employ a failsafe. So, I have some goodies for you. You should see a suitcase nearby that just opened up. I packed you everything you're going to need for the fight ahead. The best equipment I could scrounge up, so be grateful. I see a fast fashion non-branded skirt, an off-shoulder long-sleeve top, and... <laughs> oh man, kitten heels? Put them on. Trust me. You'll figure it out. Now, you can return to the Cinemania Society as your true self. The Council will no longer have control over you. <laughs> well, 
They still haven't found out the Council's plan. They don't know I've been tipping off the Cinema Assassins on our whereabouts. Ah, <sighs> shit, there's still time to fix this. But how do I tell them the truth? Now, if I know me, which I do because I'm you, right now you've started talking to me like this isn't in fact a recording, dummy. So get your ass back to your friends, or alternatively, this laptop explodes and you die instantly in a burst of red-hot shrapnel. Tick-tock. Uh, Tick-tock? And no, I don't mean the app. Oh, damn. Uh, but, but wait. No shot, this isn't a trick. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't kill me if I'm you. Uh, checkmate, loser. You don't scare me. And in case you're still talking, just to be clear, recording. Can't see or hear you. Anyway, late, darling. Wait, for real? Huh. This is a major moment of self-reflection. I'll need to... Oh, okay, okay! Oh, I'm putting on the skirt. No more beeping. <sighs> well, okay... I mean, I, I know I'm fabulous, so that's a no-brainer, but... Ah, is this... really... me? Well, this top is definitely not me. Why did, why did I think I could pull off puff sleeves with plaid? I guess I can make it work. I can always buy something else later? <laughs> Here's hoping this doesn't increase my monthly budget. I'm glad we're talking about a less artsy film. I get so sick of all the art and mood and shit. Oh yeah, metaphor, subtext, oh heaven forfend. Just chuck in an oozy 9mm and you're happy. <sighs> hey, hey, there is tons of subtext here. You got the impossible unfettered capitalist expansionism championed by the billionaire influencer class, the nihilism of the worker class. The Uzi is really just a metaphor for- Billionaires? Did Elon Musk finally come up as a topic of discussion? Nah, this is from the 90s. Everyone thought that Bill Gates was gonna send us into the internet with lasers. Yeah, like he was some kind of lawnmower man. <laughs> Back then, old Muskie was just a young emerald mind heir enjoying the perks of apartheid. It's true, look it up. But you can't really bring up Mars without mentioning him, can you? Not since he suggested nuking Mars to release CO2 as some half-assed way to warm the planet up. I wonder if that's supposed to happen before or after he does a shit capitalist recreation of the foundation of Australia using convict labor and indentured servitude like he's been hinting about. It's true, look it up. Anyway, let's get back on track. Wait. Where's Andre? Uh, no idea. Ahem, propose we go on anyway. Those who fall behind should be left to the wolves. Eh, seconded. Thirded. Wolves? Really? Uh, metaphorical wolves. Ugh. You see, they're, they're a metaphor- There you go again with the art shit. Uh, I'll take this next bit. Okay. In the next scene, we are suddenly on Mars. I guess going to Mars is just so common now that we don't need to talk about how anyone gets there, although we do see a pretty cool spaceship landing. We've got those nice, uh, those, those sweet, sweet practical models that just don't really seem to exist anymore. Anyway, 
we are at Martian Customs, and a suspiciously Arnold-sized lady is trying to get through customs while Cohagen's goons are all around. Can you imagine the casting for that role? Quote, we need a woman so large that Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger could conceivably fit inside her, and I don't mean like that. And <laughs> Bummer, kinky. The name on the passport is the actress's actual name, Priscilla Allen. Oh, that's yeah. kind of fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richter and his buddies meet up with an unnamed space fascist, played by yet another Star Trek alum, Mark Alamo, a.k.a. Gold Dukat from Deep Sleep Nine. Uh, sorry, Deep Space Nine. Attention, Ooh. Martian workers. They're just having a nice conversation about all the bad shit they'll do for Cohagen when suddenly behind them, Arnie's suit starts to malfunction. This is the two weeks bit that we all love to quote, you know, <laughs> and anybody who hears somebody say two weeks anymore, I just can't help but, but do Priscilla Allen's performance of two weeks. Oh, it's, yeah, it's iconic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. And then, it's like, also my favorite gif of all time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> with that the prop that, that has the head split halfway down. Yeah, oh, yeah. super cool. <laughs> anyway, the guards are all way too dumbfounded to shoot while Arnie's lady face is slowly opening, and before they can come to their senses, Arnie throws the head at them, and it explodes. Get ready for a surprise! Nice. Arnie <laughs> blows out a window, and the decompression sucks out most of the guards. Neat. I mean, they... Wait, no, the decompression blows out most of the guards. Sucks blows who cares as long as it gets the job done no it's that joke that sucks and blows <laughs> agreed well eventually one guy hits the button for the emergency cover and why this wasn't automatically triggered during decompression is a mystery um and all the confusion arnie escapes on a train he briefly talks to a worker from the pyramid turbinium mines as they ride through the tunnels on their way to wait wait wait, wait. what's turbinium it's a naturally occurring alloy of unobtainium uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Unobtainium. <laughs> Sorry, it's too funny. <laughs> anyway, there's a mention of alien artifacts in the mine, um, and that mention is that they are not just a rumor. So I guess we can wonder what that could mean for the future. So more foreshadowing. Anyway, Arnie is still getting his best info on the subway. The actor here, his name is Mickey Jones, and based on his IMDb page, I'm pretty sure he's been typecast as the friendly hillbilly. So he gets to be a Martian hillbilly. Very likely. Yeah, yeah, because he's got that because he's got that beard, right? Hillbillies in space. I mean, that's anyway. Time to meet our main villain, Cohagen. Prowls around a very '90s corner office where he gives his evil, super evil monologue in order to catch the audience up on his history and why he needs this guy Quaid. But is he evil? He controls the turbinium, and as long as that is the case, he stays rich and powerful. If Quato, the leader of the rebels, gets the info in Quaid's head, it could help the Martian rebels win control of Mars and topple Cohagen's empire. Uh, but it's still unclear why Arnie needs to actually be kept alive, because it sure seems like killing him would solve all of Cohagen's problems. But I doubt there's any more layers of deception and misdirection that will explain it later. First you get the turbinium, then you get the drugs, then you get the power. Turbinium right. leads to drugs. Drugs what? leads to power. Power <laughs> leads to profit. Yoda profit leads to suffering. Uh, Yoda, the Yoda version of Scarface is always my favorite. <laughs> Get the chainsaw, you will. To my little friend, you say hello. 
Um, oh, Arnie another gets, Quaalude, you will. <laughs> Arnie gets to the hotel he told himself about. And inside the Hilton, Arnie gives his fake ID, gets his room key, and is informed that he has a safety deposit box. And what is in this safety deposit box? Jules? What's in the box? <laughs> Could it be a frozen <laughs> monkey skull? A grenade launcher? No. Just a Vegas-style flyer for a seedy-looking nightclub called The Last Resort with a note written on the back. For a good time, ask for Molina. Somehow he doesn't recognize his own handwriting, so he borrows a pen and writes Molina again to confirm that the note was from himself. That's some serious visual storytelling right there. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. A lot. Well, actually, I mean, that exact moment is reused in Memento. Like, they, he actually does that at one point. So... It's probably one of the only smart things in this movie. <laughs> and in the director's cut of Memento, after doing that, he runs into a wall and explodes. <laughs> it's an homage. While saying, I hope you had a good ride. <laughs> oh, jeez. Outside the hotel, Arnie catches a taxi while narrowly avoiding another explosion. <laughs> Welcome to Mars! Penny the cab driver tells him before explaining that it was probably the rebels making a statement. And those statements always seem to end with a bang. Ah, ah, <laughs> Benny is another Star Trek alum. Mel Johnson Jr., who played Broker, a Cardassian who took over for Goldacart on Deep Space Nine. Quizzling Vichy collaborator Dominion scum that he is, I spit! <laughs> Trusty pal Benny takes Arnie to the club, which is in Venusville, the sketchy side of this Martian town that's already so sketchy that it could be in the margin of Leonardo's Codex. We see the mutants who were referenced earlier. Uh, supposedly, Cohagen cut corners on the domes used around Mars so they didn't block enough radiation, and we all know radiation equals mutants. That's just science. Uh, we hear complaints that Cohagen is raising the price on air lately, too. What a dick. And in this case, I don't mean the Philip K. dick. I just mean tech bro dick. Oh, you don't mean the Ronnie Cox dick? No, I don't mean the Ronnie Cox dick. I mean, this is exactly the sort of dick move that a, a free market capitalist would do, which is like, hey, wow, we've got another scarce commodity that we can price to, to keep people down. Wow, that's a lot more insightful than I was going to make a joke about the mutant whose face looks like a penis. Well, no, I mean, the the thing that kills me about this, that actually, this, that, that I think people really didn't think about was the fact that, you know, yes, if corporations do take us to space, of absolute fucking course, they're going to start pricing air, just like water or food or anything else that people need to actually do things and use it as a tool for controlling them and squeezing the workers for every nickel they can. Think how bad the company store would be if you actually had to buy air. Mm -hmm. I owe my soul to the company store. So this is a bit of smart storytelling here in a way that, that was subversive and pretty ahead of its time, speaking this was 1990. I'd just like to point out that it wasn't just sex workers who lived in this area. Like, it sounds like all mutants kind of live in this, like, slum. Yeah. Well, that's also a little tip of the hat to 2000 AD. Um, anyway, when they get to the last resort, you can see a sharper image and a jack-in-the-box in the background uh, because I guess shitty strip malls are the same no matter what planet you're on. I think I saw a Taco Bell, yeah. Wasn't there a sharper image in the TBD shopping plaza? No, we had an as-seen-on-TV store in the strip mall of the damned. Oh, Lord. Arnie goes in and asks for Melina. Melina is busy, so Mary offers her triple-breasted services. And since she's not free but available, Arnie is not in-breasted. Uh, inter interested. Yes. Uh, the whole three-boobs bit became almost iconic, but the actress actually hated it. Even though the breasts were prosthetics, she said she felt exposed and used. 
and actually refused to do any press or appearances for the movie. Hmm. Maybe she should have asked Eccentrica Golumbitz how to cope with it. I like that this was kind of a soft Hitchhiker's Guide reference thrown in there, too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, the music in this club sounds like it was remixed from a Sonic the Hedgehog cartridge by a German electro-pop group called The Power Dancing or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Melina obviously recognizes Arnie, but Arnie isn't sure if he knows her or not. And I don't just mean biblically. Um, they go back into a private room where she expresses her surprise and delight that he's alive by slapping the shit out of him and then kissing the shit out of him. Anyway, she's pissed that he doesn't remember her, but doesn't believe the whole mind erasure story. So she kicks him out. Faithful old Benny has been waiting at the bar the whole time and takes Arnie back to the hotel after a quick triple boob grope and lamenting, I wish I had three hands. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Arnie is in his hotel room plotting his next move when the man from the recall ads comes in, claiming to be a doctor sent into Arnie's mind by recall. This actor is another Star Trek alum. His name is Roy Brocksmith. He played, uh, that guy. his name is Cole Rami, the funny looking guy who played that finger wiggly game. Ahem, Stratagema. Yeah, yeah, that game. Against Data in the first season of uh, Next Generation. And then he was a Bajoran trader in Deep Space Nine. Man gives a good fingering. Uh-huh. All right, I got it from here, folks. The doc tries to convince Arnie that he's still in the recall memory machine, and this whole thing is a holodeck malfunction. <clears throat> I mean, delusion. He even brings in Sharon Stone, and she throws out the schizoid embolism line again to try and be more convincing. He offers Quaid a red pill to get him out of the simulation. Ah, yes, but he's also sweating a little, which means he's got to be lying. So the only way to respond to this is Arnie brutally kills the guy, but the surprisingly athletic Sharon takes Arnie down with some groin aggression, and some more of Cohagen's goons come in and carry him away. No, they just <laughs> smash him through the wall. That's the other funny thing. Is as soon as he does this, as soon as he as he blows the brains out on this guy, they just like suddenly all, all the shit goes crazy. Um, <laughs> Sharon Stone attacks him, and then all of the goons plow in through the wall and haul him off. We've got to ask the Wachowskis if this influenced them. Because, like, in The Matrix, the red pill is the one that takes you out of the simulated reality so you can wake up in the real world. There's, like, a million theories about what the red pill and the blue pill mean, but I couldn't find any connections. So, somehow, we gotta ask them. They're actually made of cocaine. Well, (laughs) obviously. So, I don't think I'm an expert on this, but I believe from a couple of things that I've read, uh, the Wachowski sisters have said uh, specifically that it was a reference to the medication that folks in transition take. Well then. I've heard that the red is Dayquil and the other one is NyQuil. Uh, As a connoisseur, I will tell you that NyQuil is green. Yes. (laughs) So, but anyway. It's Advil liquid gel. We had a friend in college who made a great cocktail called a Deadly Nightshade and it was vodka and NyQuil. (laughs) God, no. Hey, got you fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna hobnail your fucking liver. Jesus Christ. All right, all right. Sharon Stone and the goons are taking Arnie back to Richter when they run into Melina. They are the only two women with more than three lines in this whole movie, so obviously they have to hate each other and immediately fight. Sorry, Bechdel Test, nobody's passing you today unless you're in front of the triple-breasted hooker room. 
So Sharon almost kills Melina, but fortunately, Arnie grabs a gun and beans her in the brain basket. Consider it a divorce, he says, but she's not considering much of anything anymore. Melina takes Arnie to see Kuwato after calling dead Sharon Stone a bitch. Ouch. So the director, Paul Verhoeven, apparently wanted this to be less a cat fight, but more of like a full-on martial arts brawl to give the feel of two warriors fighting each other. And Sharon Stone lifted and studied Taekwondo for this picture. Uh, definitely throws kicks like she is a Taekwondo fighter. Uh, Verhoeven said in the commentary that this is probably the first time in a feature film where we see two women fighting each other normally, as opposed to there being a sexy, sexy cat fight. Maybe the Bechdel test can peek back in after all. Kind of. Just watch out. The floor is slippery. But why? Why is it slippery? Oh, penises. Yeah. So Richter finds his wife dead. And once again, it is unclear why he was so cool about his wife going undercover as Arnie's wife. But, you know, no king there shaming. are some people who get off on it. Probably Arnold, who wrote the script, I'm pretty sure. No, Arnold Which, did not write the script. I know. I'm just saying it seems like he did. Um, so anyway, now... Richter really wants to kill Artie. He chases the fleeing couple, and one of the smarter goons points out why you shouldn't be shooting inside a pressurized dome. Advice that is quickly forgotten with lots more shooting and whatnot. Ever-reliable Benny picks them up, and they head back to last resort, while Richter and a goon who looks like a low-budget Woody Harrelson follow them with deadly intent. Arnie and Melina make it into the club, where Melina's buddy opens a secret door in the wall so they can escape. I thought that guy looked familiar, so I checked his IMDb, and he's Dean Norris. He's the guy who played Hank on Breaking Bad. You know, the, the brother-in-law who was a DEA agent? But the only thing Broken Bad in this flick is his gross, deformed face. Blech. Right? Hmm. Yep, yep. Penis <laughs> face. That's mocking the afflicted. That's low. You know what's also but, low? Probably his balls. Nope. We don't. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> So, instead, by the time Richter gets to the club, everybody's pretending nothing's happening. It's 1920 speakeasy rules. The hooker from before tries to distract Richter with all three of her bosoms, but he isn't entitzed. I mean, enticed. <laughs> he did just find his wife dead, after all. So, he returns the favor and shoots the hooker, which is not nice. The whole club agrees that this is not nice, and it all devolves into a big shootout fight. Richter gets out and calls Cohagen, who tells him just to get out of that sector, the air vent fans shut down, and Cohagen has cut off the air to Venusville. He is seriously a dick. Arnie and Molina and stalwart chum Benny are running through the catacombs, meanwhile, under the city on their way to the Rebel HQ. The rebels meet them, and they're about to shoot Benny until he reveals that he's a mutant, too, by pulling off his fake hand and revealing his alien-esque forearm with crazy long fingers. Because we didn't know who was reading. I see. He did have three hands. Uh, and this is actually this specific scene why Mel Johnson Jr. decided to take this role after all, because when he first read it, he read it that he was going to be in yet another black exploitation picture, having to play a, a sort of a, a, a cardboard cutout black exploitation type character. But because this guy has a lot more dimension and in part is as one of these mutants, um, this is why he decided to actually take the role after all. Well, I'm glad that he's getting a more substantial role. Uh, so, you know, once they're inside HQ, one of the rebel leaders tells them that Cohagen is going to let everyone in Venusville suffocate and die. Arnie is ready to turn himself in to save everybody, but Molina is adamant that Cohagen can't get the info in Hauser's head. The rebel leader says the decision is up to Kawato and leads Arnie to a back office. 
Artie, I swear to God, if Cohagen was any more of a dick, Robocop would have shot him. Right. <laughs> what, in the himself? <laughs> Arnie and the rebel leader guy start catching up. Apparently, Cohagen found something in the mine and tried to hide it. But Arnie knows what's up, and that's the super secret MacGuffin knowledge he's supposed to have. Arnie assumed this rebel leader guy was Kuato, but he's not. He warns Arnie, don't get upset when he meets Kowato, who then emerges from Rebel Leader Guy's stomach like a deformed version of Krang. It's not a tumor. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it might be actually. I mean, I'm no doctor, but it really is. <laughs> you know, we really got to set up a play date for this guy in Clark Nova. I thought this bit was actually really, uh, really well lampooned in the Venture Brothers with Tiny Attorney. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Dude, they had like 15 puppeteers doing that. That was some real like, um, oh. what you call it? Really great practical effects. It really was. It really was. Um, I don't know who the, was it the same the voice same actor, actor did as- the voice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, Cause, the actor playing yeah, the, the rebel leader guy was the same voice as Quato. Okay. Cause I have to watch it, because that voice that. does not yeah, match, yeah. does it? Oh. No, no, because Quato is very soft-spoken, a voice that doesn't match his appearance at all. He proceeds to read Arnie's mind with consent, of course. You got to differentiate his style of brain fuckery from the bad guy's brain fuckery. Once Arnie opens his mind, we find out that there's some sort of half a million year old device in the pyramid mine that could destroy all of the unobtainium, I mean turbinium, on the planet and or help the rebels somehow. The flashback ends with a close-up on an imprint of an alien, or a mutant, looking handprint on top of a huge device. (laughs) The room slash cave they're in starts to shake and collapse as big mining drills break through the walls. Uh Uh-oh! These drills look so much like the cleaners from the labyrinth that I half expected the machines to be peddled by goblin muppets once you see the back. They don't look that different. Speaking of which, goblin muppets do not look that different from the Kawato puppet. Is that the one with hot fart? Hobart. Hagweed. Hoggle. Whatever. They try to escape and can you believe it? Here comes vile deceiver number two, Benny, who reveals that he's been a double agent also all along. Oops. Kohagen turns up and shoots Kowato, and with his dying breath, Kowato tells Arnie to activate the reactor. Quiet, start the reactor. And so it's goodbye to Kowato from the movie. Sadly, he didn't find as much acceptance in his second role on Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> but he really nailed it in his third role in Critters 4. <laughs> Repositor Andre, we welcome you back. What happened to you? Um, it's uh, a long story. Oh, I know a thing or two about long stories. Hey, do you need it to be breathlessly summarized? Where'd you get that cute top? A nice skirt. That color really works for you. Oh, uh, thanks, I guess. Uh, I just kind of found them. Ooh, does that skirt have pockets? Huh? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess it does. Cute. And it has pockets? Wherever you went, you totally scored. (laughs) Yeah. 
definitely. Irrelevant details. You ladies can gossip about your garb later. Back to the story. Yes. It seems the reason they kept Arnie alive all this time was to lead them to Kuato. Since Kuato was psychic, no one on Kohagen's side could get close. So Arnie, with his new memories, was the only one who could get in. But somehow the psychics never suspect Benny the cab driver? Mind you, who would suspect lovely friend Benny? Anyway, Kohagen goes on another supervillain rant and tells us that everything was part of the plan as if he was Xanatos from Gargoyles. <laughs> There's even another pre-recorded video message from Hauser to confirm everything was part of the plan. And the message ends with Hauser and Kohagen hugging like old chums and even smoking Arnold's uh, like iconic cigars. But they have to do that like that macho like side hug, right? Not the full frontal hug, because you know, well, they're guys. I mean, it's still the they're 90s, guys, guys. Jesus. They really wanted to twist the knife the way they filmed this little shocking reveal. The goons take Arnie and Melina to a memory machine to turn Quaid back into Hauser and turn Melina into Hauser's very compliant wife, because hey, why not? Hagen and Richter leave, assuming naturally that everything will be handled without any incident. Even talking about a party at Cohagen's that night. It's like they've never seen a Bond movie. As soon as they leave, there is an incident. Of course. Arnie hulks out and breaks out of the machine before it has a chance to rewrite his brain. After a lot of stabbing and crunching action in Verhoeven's signature level of violence and gore FX, he breaks Molina out and they get the fuck out of Dodge. This part actually, like when I first saw this movie as an 11 or 12 year old in like 1991 was pretty intense. Like I, I still recall my level of visceral disgust and intensity because it, it hits you like wham, wham. You don't even have the chance to cover your eyes. Oh, what he oh. like, what he pulls his cuff up and it has that spike out and he spikes that guy in the head and that's fucking yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, See, this is then vividly scarlet, bulging Arnie. It looks like a condom full of beef jerky. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or burst. <laughs> I got to admit, I kind of loved it, but I also watched like Braveheart with like meatballs and spaghetti and meat sauce without a blink in an eye. So, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, what's a, what's a Braveheart? Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Moving on. Moving on. Back in his office, Cohagen and Richter, having no idea that they have just left Arnie to his own devices, they instead make the decision to kill Arnie. Even after they were- Finally. Loose ends and all that. Besides, Richter really, he really just wants to kill the guy. Anyway, in Venusville, everyone is still slowly asphyxiating. Remember them? It looks like the morning after a rave when they've turned the warehouse lights on. Mm-hmm. Arnie and Molina flee underground to the reactor. Before they can get there, Naughty Turncoat Benny attacks them with a mining drill, Jesus fucking Christ, (laughs) using his knowledge of jackhammers and construction type shit or something. Arnie disables the drill without being ground to a pulp and kills the hell out of poor misunderstood Benny with a giant screw. Screw you, Benny! Exactly. (laughs) So punny. They conveniently find an opening right behind the wall where Benny was drilling. Arnie explains to Melina that the reactor will release air from the ice in Mars's core so everyone can breathe again. Gohagen doesn't want this because it would undermine profits. Because who would he sell air to? Again. Th- that wouldn't even work. Like, uh, Mars' no, gravitational no, field there's so couldn't... many reasons why it wouldn't work. We'll get into it yeah. later. We Dude, he could, just, he could just sell air to the space balls. Problem solved. <laughs> you think? But, like, 
You think Elon Musk watched this film and thought it was an instruction manual for the future? It's like he and all the billionaire tech bros got exactly the wrong message out of dystopian sci-fi. Movies like this are intended to be warnings, not aspirations. You guys aren't supposed to actually build it. It's like watching Star Wars and going, I should build a Death Star. <laughs> well, so here's, here's the thing you have to remember, right? The difference is the filmmaker, Verhoeven, he grew up around Nazis. But the people idolizing this, they're like, ooh, the Nazis, they seemed pretty cool. They kept the trains running on time. They were yeah. so efficient. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, Richter grabs some guys, intercepts uh, our heroes in the reactor room, and shoots what he thinks is Arnie. But turns out, Arnie remembered his cool random spy gadget watch, and they were only shooting at a hologram without somehow getting caught in their own crossfire. They get confused and eventually sh Arnie shoots a bunch of them and gets away with some sweet 90s one-liners. <laughs> I thought this was a really cool scene, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, the spy gadget thing? Oh, like the hologram fight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah now, where's, where's Robert Picardo when you need him? <laughs> Who? He's the best hologram ever. Did you think this was the real me? It is. So anyway, Richter himself survives and follows uh, follows Arnie into an open-sided elevator. And because he lacks Arnie's experience and safety standards in the workplace, he doesn't realize it's a bad idea to hang off the side. Arnie gets the timing just right and uses the rising elevator shaft to cut off Richter's arms, presumably killing him? See you at the party, Richter! Yeah, thank you. The lines really just wrote themselves in the 90s. And that is my personal favorite Arnie one-liner, by the way. Uh, Mine too. <laughs> which is why we get along. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this script could have come straight from Hemingway. It's a real farewell to arms. Thank you. Thank you. I can't oh. see myself out. Ooh, I am standing. standing. The single oh. British clap of the world. Well done, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well oh done. my god. So anyway, Arnie rides the elevator to the top and walks right up to the reactor handprint button. Carl Hagen himself intercepts Arnie and warns him that if he turns on the reactor, the whole planet will just go into meltdown. Arnie doesn't believe him, but Kohagen says that's why the aliens never turned it on. Kohagen activates a bomb instead, which is weird because it's like, don't blow up the planet, let me do it. So <laughs> he's only going to blow up that one small part of the planet, not the whole planet, just, just the part with Arnie on it. Oh, OK. OK, that makes sense. Arnie quickly throws the bomb into a tunnel, which decompresses the whole room. Kohagen gets sucked out onto the surface. Where he's... Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> what was that, Ethan? Blown out. Ah. Tomato, tomato. Just go on. Kohagen gets sucked out onto the surface where he suffocates and explodes in a blaze of eye-popping glory. Arnie and Melina manage to hold on to their eyeballs just long enough for Arnie to get his hand into the reactor before they too get sucked out of the, to the surface. Blown. <laughs> Lots of explosions start. The whole planet quakes. The sleepy folks in Venusville start to wake up as they get some oxygen. Steam geysers erupt all over the planet and glass domes get destroyed everywhere. Arnie and Melina start swelling up and bulging at the eyes. It's starting to look like Kohagen was right, but this is a 90s movie and Kohagen's the bad guy, so we know that's not the case. The biggest volcano spews out an entire atmosphere's worth of oxygen just in time to save Arnie and Melina from dying. Like we said, it's a 90s movie. 
The good guys can't die or suffer any lasting damage or have any kind of weird offensive relationships. Arnie and Melina look up at the new beautiful blue sky while everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Literally. Melina says, I can't believe it. It's like a dream. And Arnie muses that it could be. So she tells him, kiss me quick before you wake up. So much is wrong with the science here. So much. Tell me about it, but uh, at least it's fun. And in the director's cut, at this point, they run into a wall and blow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, whistling the Norwegian I wish National Anthem. We could do that with the 2012 remake with Colin Farrell. Just so, blow that yeah. whole thing up. It is so bad. And it's not even fun. No, it's really not. It's not a movie that's meant to be taken seriously. I always wondered, not just in this movie, but also in the Guardians of the Galaxy 3, once they were so disfigured, why didn't they just stay that way? Exactly. <laughs> that's my question. No I'm like, okay, you survived, but you're not going to look like you used to look. They have the heroes. Plot armor. Plot armor. Ooh. The further we go in here, the creepier it gets. <clears throat> yeah, 1980s astrotech was no joke. It definitely carries a creepy dead quality. Not to mention these spacesuits. They've got everything from the US suits to the Chinese suits, the Batman suits to the Russian suits. Those cosmonauts look a little too real. Did that one just blink? Are those two wearing fezes under their helmets? I think so. And the third one has a fez on top of its helmet! Ah, tacky. Um, so those aren't just cosmonauts? They're cinema assassins! Get them! Bring them into the unsealing vacuum of space! Deprive them of their capitalist pizza rolls! Not the pizza rolls! <laughs> Leg it! They're right behind us! <laughs> that episode of the Cinemania Society was written and performed by Zachariah Burks, Ethan Ireland, Andrea Palladino, Daniel Scribner, Andy Slack, Hope Bravo, and Alessandra Martinez. Produced, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Ambiance created in part by Miracle Forest Music. Sound effects and incidental music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit us at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com for season one and profiles in Cinemania. We have social media for you to join the discussion. We have a subreddit at r slash thecinemaniasociety and a Facebook page. If you liked what you heard, head over to Patreon and throw us a few bones. We love making fun stuff for folks to listen to, but it sure isn't free. Anything and everything helps. The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.